Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that celebrates life, liberty, and the pursuit of a cool, dry smoke. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Have you been naughty or nice? Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast coming to you from the smoke-filled recording studio built here at my office just outside of a chilly, frigid Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, we're getting some of this winter weather just like the rest of the United States is, and I'm assuming Canada is too, because... It's cold down here. It's got to be colder up there. Anyway, in tonight's show, in Pipe Parts, I got a question a couple of weeks ago about wanting to wanting me to talk about pipes as an investment vehicle. So I'm going to touch on that, give you my spin on that. Did a lot of research. going to be a lot of numbers in there, so bear with me on that one. My guest, another renaissance man in the pipe smoking hobby, Jesse Silver. Jesse's going to join us on the phone. Uh, Music continuing, special music for the holiday season, and uh, this one's fun. It's from one of my favorite albums for uh, Christmas holiday music. Uh, Mailbag, and instead of a rant, I got a rave for you. A couple of things that have, a couple of things I want to point out to you that I like that uh, I've seen in the last week or so. So that'll be all the way at the end of the show. And after the rant, you'll want to stay on for a special uh, special birthday message coming up for tomorrow, Friday the 13th. Hey, speaking of Friday the 13th, anybody got plans for the weekend? I'll tell you, I was uh, really lucky to be able to be home last Sunday. The weather around here was miserable, but I did not feel nearly as bad as the folks that were watching and the folks that were playing in the football game in Philadelphia. I mean, that was knee-deep in snow, and they were still out there. The fans were out there supporting them, watching guys slide around. I don't know how anybody saw the ball or was able to keep track of it, but uh, that was quite a football game, quite enjoyable to watch. So, All right, everybody, it's warm inside. Grab a bowl, sit back, fire it up. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. Here we go. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeerschaumStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeerschaumStore.com, the most trusted Meerschaum store for 50 years. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favourite blends outside of the US? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favourite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the US and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. Welcome back in just a short while here. Jesse Silver will be on the phone with me. But in the meantime, this goes back to an email, and I can't find the email exactly, but the show listener wanted me to talk about pipes as an investment vehicle. I've had questions from people before about, uh, especially in regards to artisan pipe makers and the new and upcoming pipe makers, which pipe makers should... uh, should we buy now because before the prices go up and we've seen that happen um i want i want to say first of all that i don't believe that a pipe is an investment vehicle or a way to uh hedge or bank on the future a pipe is a piece of art and we've had discussions of recent going around the hobby about uh critiquing pipes in the classical form of art and music and that'll develop itself on its own. But there are a, there are a few certain pipe makers whose 
prices and values have gone through the roof. So what I did was I uh, went back and pulled up some historical records. And the first thing that I found was a 1964 Wally Frank catalog that showed a Costello Sea Rock Shape 31 for $24.95. Looks like it's about a 3K size. So $24.95 in 1964 for a Wally Frank Sea Rock 3K. Uh, that $24.95 in 1964. Adjusted for inflation in today's U.S. dollars is worth about $188. Now, a brand new Sea Rock 325, 350, I believe. But if you owned that pipe and you had smoked it on the estate market, that pipe might be worth somewhere between 175 to 225. So, you've just about kept up with inflation. So, your 24.95 that you would have spent 1964 would be worth about the same even if you smoked it. Uh, I went a little bit further and I wanted to go into some of the high-grade guys, so I found some Ewan Reese catalogs, and the one in particular that I want to point out is a 1977 catalog, and I've got a ton of papers here, so bear with me. Uh, this 1977 catalog showed a Sixton Iverson, two Sixton Iverson pieces made selling for $500 or $1,500. Obviously, there's going to be a grain quality difference between the two. But the three pipes that I want to point out to you are three bow nords, one for $1,200 and two for $1,000 each, and this is 1977. Adjusted for inflation, currently that $1,000 bow nord pipe from 1977 is $3,853.89 in current day dollars. Now, we all know that Bonord's pipe prices have gone through the roof. That pipe smoked, and I've looked at a picture of it. Hard to tell the, the exact grain and everything because it's an old catalog. But that pipe itself, I would estimate on the estate market, on the current crazy prices that we're seeing, in the $8,000 range. So that's almost double beating inflation. Well, here's what I did to make things even more confusing. If you went and invested that same $1,000 in 1977 and put it in a standard short-term savings account based off of the average short-term savings account interest rates from 1977 to 2012, that $1,000 would be worth $6,040. So you would have six times your money as opposed to the bone ord where you might be able to sell it for $8,000. If you had invested it somewhat securely in long-term CDs or a high-interest account where you locked in for a long-term you could be looking at about $15,500 off of that $1,000 being in that bank account for 35 years. Uh, had you gone with the S&P, the Standard & Poor's 500 portfolio, and reinvested your dividends, that $1,000 over the past 35 years would now be worth $33,000. Now you're going to have to pay income tax on that. So... Pipes as an investment vehicle, I'd rather invest in uh, stock or something else like that. I will say that I pulled up some slightly interesting numbers on tobacco. And the one in particular that I want to point out to you is in 1992. It was the first year of the Christmas cheer in 100 gram tins. And it sold from the uh, no longer with us Levin Pipes International it sold for $9.50 per 100-gram tin. Um, adjusted for inflation, that $9.50 is really $15.81 in current day. The current day product is selling in the uh, $18 to $21 range, I want to say. Uh, however, we all know that if you had a tin of Christmas cheer right now from 1992 on the uh, in good condition on the... Vintage tin market, 40 50 bucks is probably pretty easy. So you got 
four to five times your money on that as an investment. Now, when you're investing in pipes, the best part of it is is we get to smoke them and enjoy them. If you're going to invest in tobacco, the best part for me really is is you get to enjoy those vintage tobaccos. And talking about uh, historical pipes and pipes that have gone up in great value recently, wait until you hear what Jesse has to say about Barlings because he's done a lot of research in them. We'll be back with Jesse in just a minute. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. This is Internet Radio. Please welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, pipe smoker, pipe collector, pipe investigator, and artist. And we'll get into a bunch of that because I'm really excited to learn about it. Jesse Silver. Jesse, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on it. So tell us, first of all, where'd you grow up and all that stuff? Well, first off, you're assuming I've ever grown up, but um, um, I'm, a, I'm a California boy. I'm a Valley boy. So I grew up in uh, the West Valley, uh, born in Tarzana, pretty much spent most of my life in the West Valley and now live in Burbank. Uh, Tarzana was named by who? Edgar Rice Burroughs. Well, it's named after Tarzan. Yeah, and uh, the um, the area was was originally part of the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate, um, and uh, uh, they still have. I understand that the estate, the family, still has a, a, an office that handles all of the Tarzan properties um, that's located in Tarzana, and the old uh, ranch house is still uh, is still there. It's still up on the hill. I used to see it walking to school when I was a kid. And uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs occasionally smoked a pipe. He's not. Doesn't he's not the reason. You, he's not the reason you're on the show. No, no. Eddie had nothing to do with it. Yeah. When did you start smoking a pipe? Uh, I started in college, and um, uh, I thought it looked cool, and I wanted to try it out. And there was a a, a wonderful um, pipe shop uh, just across the street from the jewelry store that I was working in at the time. And I'm I'm having one of those senior moments where I can't remember the name of the of the pipe store, but it was a very famous one uh, over on Wilshire Boulevard in the Miracle Mile area. Um, and I wandered in and I, I bought a pipe and I bought and he gave me some tobacco. He was very nice and gave me some you know, tips on how to do it. And I kind of worked at it and learned how to how to smoke a pipe and I enjoyed it. Um, and bought and I had a couple of pipes and I also had uh, meerschaum that um, I pretty much destroyed. But, um, yeah, I got started in college. What was the first tobacco you tried? Oh, uh, boy, that was so long ago, it was probably rolled for me and chopped up by Indians. Um, <laughs> gosh. Hand-delivered well, you know, by, it was a, by Sir Walter Raleigh. Yeah, exactly, and, and the pipe was about four and a half feet long. Um, honestly, I can't remember because they were his own store brands, Mm-hmm. But it was it was more than likely a very mild Latakia blend, and with like I guess you'd say is a sort of an English referred to as an English make. Uh, people tend to say it's not an English make, but you know, it was a Latakia and uh, blend, and, and I liked it. Um, honestly, I couldn't tell you a lot about about what those were back then. Uh, I did try some of the Dunhill mixtures later on, though, um, and. Uh, 
know, I just played around with different with different tobaccos without really being loyal to anyone. Now, your yeah. professional career, uh, you are an artist, but you're kind of a specialized artist. Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. Um, I've spent about 35, 36 years, I guess, uh, in the um, in motion picture television business. Uh, I started out in visual effects for live action films, and I and it was a kind of work. Uh, it was what um, was referred to as a, a matte painter or matte artist, M A T T E, and uh, that was. Um, a kind of painting where you would do a realistic painting and you would blend it to a location or a set to create a completed shot. And the painting needed to look real on the screen to fool the eye. Now the That's painting, where I started. Those, those paintings, they're not as big as the set are, are they? Oh, no, no, okay. no, no. Uh, you're just filling a frame. Remember that when you, these things were put together and they were composited, so you'd, You'd, sh- you'd shoot your your scene, and um, and then I, I would project that up onto a piece of glass and trace out where I needed to add the painted elements, and then paint that in, and then we would um, shoot the painting um, as one pass, and then the live action portion as another pass, and as long as it married up on the film, that was all you needed. Generally, uh, the map paintings that I did, for the most part were about uh, three and a half by five feet, sometimes uh, six feet long. I think the biggest one I ever worked on was about five feet by 16 feet, and that was because we were uh, doing a um, a uh, panning move and a, sort of a dolly track, and we were panning and dollying across the length of the painting. Do you remember what movie that was for? Uh, yeah, that was for Free Jack. And what were some of and- the... What were some of the other movies you you worked on? Well, uh, I worked on close to seventy features uh, over the years, most of which I, I have mercifully forgotten. But um, <laughs> there are a couple that I mean, probably one of the most well known of the of them was the was the original uh, Tron, and on Tron. Uh, I was the um, background supervisor as well as uh, um, doing a lot of uh, layout and design work for a lot of the shots in the film. And um, and I directed all of the painting as well. So in a sense, it was art directing as far as the, the paintings of those backgrounds for, for that film were concerned. Uh, another one would be Something Wicked This Way Comes, which was based on uh, novelette by Ray Bradbury, and that was a lot of fun because um, I got to work with Ray, and uh, uh, I did um, opening sketches for the uh, for the film that uh, were set in um, the outdoors in the fall in New England, and uh, we went out and shot all locations, uh, flights based on those sketches that I did. There was uh, gosh, so many films. Uh, Lonesome Dove, which was, a, of course, a, a miniseries. Uh, Lonesome Dove, uh, Total Recall, the first Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, one of my personal favorites was A Little Princess that uh, was um, directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who just did um, Gravity. And Which, um, which I saw Gravity a little bit back, and that is a beautiful picture. That is an amazing film. If you've seen it in 3D, it's astonishing. Stereo, stereo 3D. It's, it's an absolutely astonishing film. Um, Alfonso's a genius. And um, gosh, what other? Well, of course, I, I worked on a couple of the Batman pictures. And uh, boy, I, if I had my 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 uh, my curriculum vitae in front of me, I could rattle them off. But you know, a lot of different films. And um, and then I did work in animation as well. So I worked on a on a lot of different projects and commercials and you know you, all kinds of stuff. So for those for those that are listening and know me very well, the minute that I heard Jesse had worked on Tron, the Disney geek and me just jumped up and down and got all excited. So <laughs> there, there's a there's a quick way to get on the show with me. Work on a Disney movie. I'll be I'll be happy to have you on here. Um, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Now you've also. 
and I know the the matte paintings and that that stuff's all changed now, and you've kind of evolved with the change as well. Yeah, well, we're no longer painting on glass and masonite. We're not really painting with with oils or acrylics, and we're not using brushes. It's all on the computer now, and so the whole game is, has has uh, has changed. And um, uh, there are some times that I really miss that traditional approach. Uh, and and going out on set and you know getting behind the camera and getting the shot I mean that was all wonderful but digital processes allowed me to spend a lot less trying trying to color match to the uh, vagaries of, of film being developed in a lab where the colors could shift from batch to batch it's 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 taken away a lot of that and giving me uh, makes it a bit, a bit easier plus you can you can take photographic elements you can shoot elements and then uh, use them to com- combine together to create the the uh, the scenes that you need, as opposed to you know meticulously creating those textures or those um, those surfaces. And of course, now we even have 3D software that builds um, imaginary landscapes that does a pretty good job. It's yeah. amazing. I, I was going to ask you because when the when you're doing a 3D, if you're doing a 3D background, then you're doing multiple layers of it to keep the dimensional depth going all the way back into the background. Uh, well, yeah. Um, back in, back in the, in, in the days before we had um, 3d as in, as in CG or, or stereoscopic 3d, we would, we would create that image by doing a process called multi-planing where we would do literally that. We would stack layers of paintings painted on glass and, and then you'd see through that and you could move them uh, physically uh, using uh movers on a stage to create the depth when the camera moved position. Now what you do is you, you, you uh, build the geometry and then you, you literally wrap the, the painting around those surfaces, the texture map, we call texture mapping, uh, and wrap around the surfaces. And when the camera, the digital camera moves through that environment, then of course everything is changing in perspective. And here's a trivia question for you. Uh, what company invented the multiplane camera? Well, I'd like to say it was Disney because we used to have a big old multiplane sitting out um, in uh, outside the math department, but I don't know that that's true. It was the Disney company. Okay, because yeah. um, I know that um, that Paramount used some multiplaning with some of the early um, Popeye cartoons, but then they they also did a lot of stuff with actually building out um, um, miniatures and doing it that way and using rear projection process as well. So through the through the art career, when did you start getting heavily into pipes and pipe collecting? You know, um, I'd given up the pipe for a while after nearly singeing all my hair off. <laughs> These days, I don't have to worry about it because I've gotten bald and my hair has migrated, so it no longer <laughs> matters. Um, but uh, I, I I had a few pipes around. I didn't really get frantically back into it until about, um, I guess about 20 years ago. It's a little over 20 years ago. Um, I, maybe 22, 23 years ago, uh, I was dating, uh, a, a woman whose father was a fantastic pipe collector. I mean, the guy had an amazing collection of Dunhill stuff, hundreds of Dunhill pipes, hundreds of rare pipes. And it was, I'd go over to the house and I'd see this literally like a museum of, of Dunhill and not only pipes, but Dunhill lighters and all kinds of Dunhill leather goods. And I mean, beautifully arranged. And he always had a pipe in his mouth. And I remember started remembering that wonderful scent that you get, that wonderful room note. And he sort of started encouraging me to get back into it. And um, so I started buying and started collecting. And initially it was, it was Dunhill um, and a few other things. Uh, and that's sort of how I got started back into it. And, um, you know, m- the fascination has never, never left me. When did you start your uh, appreciation of barling? You know, that started uh, probably, it's hard to say, you know, pinpoint it, but I'm going to guess that it started about, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Um I, you know, I read Hacker's book on, on rear smokes and then pipes, and he talked about the romance of the barling pipe. 
And I thought it'd be nice to find one of those and just you know see what that's about. And I, I bought a Barling Canadian that was, uh, at the time, I didn't know really that much about the periods or any of it. I just knew it was a Barling, and, and, it, and as it turns out, it's, it was a transition era pipe. You know, I just fell in love with the thing. It, it, it was such a comfortable uh, bit, a comfortable pipe in the mouth, and it drew beautifully, and uh, whatever I weird tobacco I was smoking at the time just seemed to work in it. It was weird. I mean, it just was one of these things that just was just a great pipe. And um, I was hooked. I started to get uh, one here, one there, and I was still, you know, trying other pipes out, but just something about Barlings for me just seemed to click, and I became interested in learning more about about the company and about its history. I mean, I think it's really interesting the the, the, the history behind the story behind these these um, these various makes. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back after the break, I'm going to ask Jesse about the deal that he got on a quaint and uh, some of his barling research. So we'll be back in just a minute. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Ciao, Barry. Tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there. Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. We are back. Jesse's still with us. Didn't run him off yet. He hasn't figured it out. Um, <laughs> when we first started talking about you coming on the show, one of the things you told me about with the was this Barling Quaint that you bought for ninety something dollars. And go ahead and tell everybody the story that you told me because this is the this is a perfect example for eBay buyers and eBay sellers. Okay, sure. Um, all right. Well. Um, I bought a lot of pipes off of eBay and, you know, I tend to write to, uh, sellers, uh, either because I'm, I want a little more information, maybe a little more, you know, support photographs, or uh, I started writing to some of them when I would see that they would be listing in a way that I thought might actually hurt their results, you know, hurt the, the their benefits. So, uh, I spotted this pipe listed on, on eBay and it was listed as a, as a barling pipe, but uh, it wasn't listed as a quaint, and it was this little, um, well, it looked to me to be this little um, pot-shaped quaint. And I, so I wrote to the guy, and I said, you know, you've got a lovely pipe here. It's a rare pipe. They're called quaints, and uh, they're, they're one-of-a-kind. They're handmade. Um, you know, um, <clears throat> if you put that on there, um, you're going to get some more traffic uh, for, your, for your listing than, than just listing it as a barling pipe. Uh, and you should list it as a pre-transition barling quaint. Well, the guy wrote back to me, and, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm really happy and satisfied with, with, with what I've got here, and thank you very much. Okay, so fine. I tried to help the guy out, and you know, I ended up buying the thing for, for 97 bucks, And, um, <laughs> uh, you know, for nothing. And um, when, I, when I received it, I, I was expecting, from the way it was photographed, I was expecting to see a fairly small pipe, maybe along the, uh, maybe five and a half inches by five and a half inch small pot. You know, what I got was nearly seven inches long. <laughs> it was a large, large, large barling. It was one of these big old pots that um, uh, had an outside, uh, I guess, diameter of, of, of about one and seven eighths inches, 
and um, you know, eight panels with four panels of, uh, of very fine traceries, and it was in really just great condition. And the way it was photographed, it was dark, it was muddy, it was, it was you, you did it all wrong. Um, and I got, I got the pleasure of it. <laughs> I got the benefit because I bought the thing. And uh, you know, eBay is an interesting, it's an interesting uh, arena, but it's important that you um, you present things as, as accurately and as clearly as you can you know dark pictures and muddy stuff and missed opportunities you hurt yourself so you basically got what should be yeah if it was cleaned up and photographed right a six seven hundred dollar pipe for less than a hundred bucks something like that something like that yeah could be absolutely you know I, i stripped all the old varnish and not varnish but but wax and muck off of it and it turned out to have really beautiful grain and, and a lot of very crisp carving, or little tiny little traceries, that little tribal uh, art. Or uh, uh, Tag Gage said, called them, I think, chicken scratches that um, these have. And, uh, yeah, it's, and, and, oh, it's a beautiful smoker. I will say that, too. It is a lovely pipe to smoke. How many barlings do you have in your collection? Um, I don't exactly know, but, um, by some standards, not that many, uh, I would guess around, you know, pre-transition, right? Uh, maybe between 35 and 40, I think I, I, I haven't looked recently. I've been buying them. So, but somewhere around there, I think somewhere around 35 to 40. I mean, there are plenty of people out there going to go, Oh, bleh, I've got hundreds of them. Good. I'm 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 content with the, with the ones I have. They're good ones. I I've got two. Um, how do I identify, and how can everybody else identify a pre-transition versus a transition versus a post? Okay, twenty-five words or less. Sure. Um, um, the first the the first thing I would say is go on to the Pipedia page, and we explain it there. But essentially. Um, Pre-transition barlings have a bar, a barlings make logo. The barling uh, is in an arch over the word make, and they're block letters. Okay. There is also uh, a couple of variants on that. There is a barlings for the guinea grain that's in script, and the pre-transition ones have an apostrophe s. Okay. Um, there is also a um, Barling without the apostrophe S, uh, that's the pipelet, and um, that's a 1930s to 50s era um, pipelet that used a, a filter. Um, and uh, generally, uh, the, pipe, the pre-transition pipes, when they have a model number, uh, they're usually, for the American market, they're usually a three-digit number. Uh, not always, but usually. Sometimes they're two digits. Uh, the ones for the uh, European market um, are four digits, and they all start with a one. And um, other markings may vary. You know, sometimes they have a made in England with a period. Sometimes they have a made in England without a period. Uh, sometimes they have made in London, England. Sometimes they don't have anything. Um, and, uh, and and so that you know, people say, well, it's significant that it has a dot or it doesn't have a dot. No, it's not significant. Forget that one. It's a myth. They uh, they often have the name of the tobacconist who was selling the pipe stamped into the shank. Uh, if the pipe has a reg number on the underside of it, uh, that gives you a rough idea of the era that the pipe was made, somewhere between 1936 and 1950, because that was the era for the patent run. It was a 14-year patent uh, that was granted in 1936. And... Um, uh, and then after that, they had uh, they stamped Barling Design um, in the 50s through the 60s. And then uh, the transition ones, and, you know, this whole, you know, transition, post-transition, from the stuff that I've learned from Jonathan Gus, and if you want to talk about somebody who knows, knows what he's talking about, it's Jonathan Gus. Um, that really doesn't, to me, mean anything anymore. I think what you're looking at is family era and post-family era. So I kind of think that with the things you've been learning in the last year or so about uh, the history of this company, that makes more sense than tra- pre-transition, transition, post-transition. 
Um, I do know that during the, the during the transition era, it was still owned by the family, and they were still using wood from you know, wood that they had stored, and they were using up that well, stuff. Yeah. And then then the sale of the company let, happens. Let me let me address some of that. Okay, so the the in term in current terms, transition usually refers to the mystery company that bought it and then was taken over by Imperial. And then Imperial takes it over and that becomes post-transition. Okay. Um, the mystery company isn't a mystery. The mystery company was Finlay. And Finlay bought Barling. They had been one of their largest customers. The family sold the, uh, the company to Finlay at the end of 1960. But the family stayed on and ran the company up until mid-1962. So they didn't own it, but they still ran it. And so you have Williamson Barling uh, continuing as the plant manager. Um, most of the sources indicate that he was plant manager up until 1967, but John found um, a news article in mid-1962 in the uh, British uh, journal called Tobacco, which is the journal for the British uh, tobacco industry, mm-hmm. announcing um that uh, that Williamson stepped down in mid 1962. So it's mid 1962. He finishes up. Uh, Montague steps down sometime in 1962. And so what happens is that prior to uh, um, well, let me let me just say this. Not actually prior to, but sometime during that last period of the uh, Barling family's control of the operations, if not ownership, um, they changed the modeling, uh, the model numbering system, and they began the new system that was continued on afterwards. So you also have, for a period of, I'm not sure how many months, maybe six months, maybe eight months, maybe more or less, you have pipes that have the old logo, which is Barling's make, the arched logo um, in block letters, but it has a different uh, model number. It's a four-digit number, and it doesn't start with a number one. It starts with a two through a six. And those were only made during 1962. Um, they were announced in the 150th uh, anniversary catalog, and they, and they mentioned they were changing the modeling system, uh, the model numbering system. And then they were gone by November of the year when the new catalog came out, which has the familiar cursive Barling logo. Okay, so that that Barling logo, cursive Barling logo with London, England, made in London, England, that is currently thought of as transition slash post-transition, that starts in 1962 and at the end of 1962. And um, as far as the wood is concerned, um, well, in 1954, a little event happened in Algeria. It was called the War for Independence. And what happened was that Barling lost its um, supply of Algerian briar at that time. So they had stocks, of course, and they continued to release pipes made from that material. But that famous sort of <clears throat> old Algerian wood uh, became unavailable to them. And so they um, started sourcing from a variety of different countries looking for the very, very best wood they could find that would give them what they felt was a, a superior quality of uh, smoking, um, looking for the right kind of heat dispersion, porosity, whatever they, they were looking for, because they were fanatical about quality. They were just fanatical about it. But they, they sourced from a bunch of other countries. So in point of fact, the, the pre-transition pipes from the later 50s through the early 60s aren't Algerian. They're from Sardinia and France and Spain and I don't know where else uh, – Greece, and they listed all this, and it's not a secret. They announced it in the trades, so it's not like somebody's hiding anything here. It was all announced. It's just that you know most of us don't actually go back and search through dusty old journals to find this stuff. But then again, I'm going to again plug John Gus because most of us aren't John Gus. He found all this stuff, and, and he's I'm very very um, fortunate to have been able uh, to learn from him a lot of things that helped me in redoing the Barling article that I, I did last, just earlier this year. I did an update and then found out that some of the stuff that I came up with uh, in terms of when the family left was correct, and, um, and there's some other things I didn't know about, and John shared that, that data with me, and I was able to incorporate it into the, the Piepedia page. 
Um, those barling pipes that were made in the in 62, the ones with the barlings make and the four-digit number, are the same thing as the uh, pre-transition, the late pre-transition pipes, except the only difference between them is the numbering. And they go for a lot less money. So if you're looking for a really nice smoke, um, go buy those. My experience with transition pipes is they're great. And a lot of the post-transition pipes are, are also great pipes. Uh, I think it's a myth that they suddenly uh, just went all to hell. They did decline. They definitely declined. But it didn't happen immediately. It happened over time. How long did it take you to put together the article for, for Pipedia? Well, I had an article. There was an article that existed there to begin with, and I remember reading it, and it, it, it read like something that had been kind of put together from, from several different editions from several different sources, and it, it, it was a little bit of a jumble, and there were issues with it. Um, and so I, I contacted Scott Feely, who created and who, by the way, is a heck of a great pipe maker. And I said, you know, it'd be nice if if this page could get fixed. I noticed this, I noticed that, and this and that. And so he said, well, why don't you do it? And I went, maybe. <laughs> and I went, uh, okay. So I went and basically did uh, a revision of it a few years ago and uh, tried to pull it together into a more cohesive um, narrative and uh, took stuff that I've learned about, um, material that I've found uh, and incorporated, and tried to bring it into, uh, uh, I think, a little more factually correct state. Um, there were things that I knew were false in there that were kind of legends that I threw out. And I, it, it's gone through a couple of iterations, and the latest one um, features uh, some nice reproductions from probably the rarest borrowing article there is, item I should say, that there is, and that is uh, a pre-transition borrowing catalog from sometime around the period of the First World War, which I bought, I found. Uh, so far, nobody's turned up another complete one. Uh, this one came out of Barling's own, at least nobody I'm aware of, I should say that because somebody out there may say well i have one in which case great i'd love to see it i'd love to see if it's the same one that i have because they did a number of these uh catalogs over the years and um but this one's from around the, the period of the first world war and i bought it uh had it conserved so it wouldn't deteriorate um and then uh, did a restoration on it and published a um a uh facsimile edition earlier this year and so I, I put some of those things up. So you could actually see some interiors of the Barlings uh, factory and, um, and learn a little bit more about uh, their pipes, uh, where they came from. Uh, I didn't know that they all had names. They named every model. Uh, nobody knew they had names. When I showed that uh, catalog to, to Tad, he went, wow. He said, I, I never knew they did names. So it's been kind of cool that we've been able to share um, information with each other, and, and, and both John and Tad have been absolutely fabulous. They've contributed a tremendous amount to the uh, Pipedia page. They've made it much better than uh, than uh, it would have been had it just been little old me. Uh, and I'm not being modest here. I'm, I'm being honest here. Uh, their contributions have been uh, really, really, really wonderful, and, uh, and Tad's been particularly gracious about sharing um, images that he's gotten over the years of their uh, harvesting operations in Algeria, the drying rooms, factory. He's got some images that I don't have. I've got I have one or two that he didn't have, and we've you know, shared them and swapped them, and we put them up on the Pipedia page so people who are really interested uh, can get a, a, a look at all this stuff and, and, and learn more about it. I particularly like the 1917 cased set. Isn't that gorgeous? That was a uh, that was up on eBay, and I took one look at it and went, "I've got to get images of this for the page." And so I wrote the seller, and I said, "You know, I've got this page. Um, I'd love it if we could have these images for the page. You know, we'd love to give you an attribution." And he was wonderful. He said, "Absolutely," and gave me the images, and I, I wrote uh, his name down there, so you know, he gets credit for them. It's a gorgeous set. Do you remember how much the set ended up selling for on eBay? Uh, yeah, I think it was around 2400 Okay, I'd love to keep looking at the pictures of that set. 
<laughs> well, you know, it's unsmoked. And uh, so to find something that is um, absolutely new, a new condition from that era, it's pretty rare. Uh, they're a nice, they're a nice set. They're a very nice set of pipes. God, they're beautiful. Not their highest grade, not their highest grade, but but um, beautiful set. All right. So while I'm drooling on this, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up with the fast five final questions. There's no right answer, no wrong answer. Whatever comes out of your mouth. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you? Hey. <laughs> go here for we it. go. Go for it. What's your favorite pipe? Oh, uh, that's a hard one. Um, what's my book? Barlings. Okay. <laughs> Do I have to say a pipe? No, whatever comes out of your uh, mouth. <laughs> okay, Barlings. What's your favorite tobacco? You know, uh, my favorite is one I can't get anymore. It's called Easy Chair, and it was uh, from the Smoker Limited. Um, I'm going to miss it. <laughs> and what's your favorite drink? Uh, my favorite drink is, uh, probably a good cream soda. Relaxation time. Is it a book, movie, or music? All of them. Uh, I like to read mysteries, particularly fond of, of Lawrence Block. And, uh, I watch, uh, occasionally, I don't own, have like, um, it's funny, I work in television, but I do not have cable. Um, <laughs> so occasionally I look at something on Hulu and I kind of like Bones and um, uh, Warehouse 13 and, you know, odd stuff. And what was the third thing you asked me about? No, nah, that's that's perfect. Okay. You don't get another third one. <laughs> okay. Last what one. What's, last one. What's your favorite pipe smoking memory? Gosh, that is, um, what's my favorite pipe smoking memory? You know, I'm probably going to disappoint you on this because uh, I don't have one that pops to the top of my head at this moment. Oh, I can give you one. Now I can give you one. Uh, uh, this was years ago. This was years ago. And, and uh, I was I'm probably breaking the law when I did this, but what the heck. Go ahead, go ahead and arrest me. But um, in Griffith Park around uh, Christmas time, uh, the DWP used to put up this Festival of Lights. They haven't done it for a few years, supposedly, because there's... They're doing work on the on the on that area of road with some construction. But I used to love to go down there at night, uh, where all the Christmas lights, the animated lights, were blinking away, and the music was playing through the trees, and it was nice and cold. And I would take along my pipe, and I would just puff it quietly in the night and listen, listen to the Christmas music and look at all the uh, the lovely, lovely, lovely. Um, uh, animation, animating uh, Christmas lights, and that's that's a favorite memory. Sounds perfect. Jesse, thank you for your time. If you want to learn more about Barlings, check out the uh, Pipedia, P-I-P-E-D-I-A dot O-R-G. Look up Barling. It's a, it's a gorgeous page full of information. If you would like to see some of Jesse's artwork, his own personal professional website is silverimageservice.com. And there's a lot more movie stuff and TV stuff in there that I've recognized, even uh, even basketball. But Oh, basketball. Oh, my God, yeah. I was a supervisor on that. Um, well, I wanted to just say thank you so much for the opportunity, and I, I really had a, a, a fun time doing this interview, and I... I I hope you did as well, and it's it's been it's been great, very just great. Thank you so much. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical—a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented perfect match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. 
there's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. How's that for talking about pipes that have gone up in value? And obviously uh, one very passionate collector and supporter of Barlings. All right, let's roll right into Christmas music. This one's a little different, a little special. One of my favorites, it's uh, Twisted Sister.
Chris D. Snyder and Twisted Sister did a Christmas album. Uh, look it up. You can find it on the internet. Full of a bunch of good stuff on there. I enjoy it. And part of Christmas is about uh, having some fun, too. Yes! You have new mail. Let me respond to a couple of things from last week, and I think this email that I got from M-A-L-U-S Rex, Malus Rex, sums it up the best. He says, I've actually been listening from almost a year and have enjoyed all the back episodes via iTunes. I just joined the site because of the show. I'd commented elsewhere that for me the show is my pipe club. I don't have a criticism, just an observation. At times, I think it would be nice change if Brian would share of his own pipe story, how he got into it, why. I've done that a couple of times. You'll pick it up through there and maybe go back and listen. But the key line is, is the show is my pipe club. That's what I wanted the show to sound like. It's a representation of what you might hear at a pipe club meeting, pipe show, gathering of uh, pipe smokers. And that includes women. Passionate, excited pipe smokers like Rachel are a valued part of our community. And you know what? I'm sorry. If you don't learn something on every show, at least the show's going to be entertaining. And I hope that, uh, you know, those of you out there that are listening, I hope there's times where you don't learn something, but maybe it just reminds you of something else coming up or something else from your history. A couple other comments like that. Uh, Jack Carlos wrote, yeah, I love the diversity of the people you interview on the show. Uh, Balsifer from Canada. Interesting topics this week. Brian enjoyed the information about how silver caps were used on pipes. I also enjoyed your interview with Rachel. I hope you'll have her back soon. Uh, Mr. Jerky, I'm going to use just a portion of what you wrote. Uh, Thank you for keeping the show diverse. I don't expect you to have a legend of the pipe industry every week, and I enjoyed Rachel's point of view on the hobby. Yeah, it's, you know, if it was me just talking to legends, it'd get kind of boring. I like the refreshing new pipe smoker point of view to the hobby. All right, let's go back and cover a couple of things in the Christmas What to Get for Your Pipe Smoker gift guide. This is now when you turn the volume up and make sure that those are that your uh, loved ones or those that might be picking out gifts for you are in the room with you. Uh, a couple of things on audio books. Rick Newcomb's book would be a great gift. You can give it electronically. And Fred Hanna's The Perfect Smoke is now available. I believe it's available through audible.com. Of course, us pipe smokers, we always love pipes. You pick one out for us, I guarantee you, I'll love it. All right, a positive happy rant coming up in just a minute. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's CupOJoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to CupOJoes.com, and there it is. CupOJoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. raves to uh, three different places. Are you ready? Number one, going back to uh, last Saturday or yeah, Saturday or Sunday, we were out shopping. We stopped in uh, Garden Ridge, which is a, a big decorator store. I don't know what they've turned into, but anyway, they got a ton of clothes in there and a whole bunch of stuff. Usually decent prices. And we're looking in at their holiday ornament sale, and they've got a plastic lighted Frosty the Snowman. And he's actually smoking a pipe. Now, it's a black poker, long shank poker looking pipe that 
is not exactly the Americanized corn cob version of it, but just the fact that they actually had a holiday decoration of Frosty the Snowman and he was smoking a pipe made me happy. So I posted a picture of it on Facebook. And it uh, brought up whether or not he should have a corncob pipe or, you know, obviously when Frosty was originally written, he probably didn't have a corncob pipe because that would have been back in the uh, 1800s sometime and he was written in England and they didn't really have corncob pipes over there. But I was happy to see that Garden Ridge was going to show a Frosty the Snowman ornament with a corncob pipe in his mouth. No, I didn't buy it, but... Check out my Facebook page. You'll see a picture of it there. A second shout-out. Last week, when I was in San Antonio, I stayed at the Homewood Suites in San Antonio, kind of about five miles away from the airport. Let me tell you, it was really refreshing to walk into a hotel with really nice people that took care of you. The hotel property itself was a little old, but you could tell that they were keeping it up. The Homewood Suites room was really nice and big. I was able to get a smoking room. They gave me three ashtrays so that I could have an ashtray in the bedroom, one in the living room, and one in the little dining area. Super comfortable hotel room. Every afternoon from 5.30 to 7.30, they had a little manager's reception downstairs. Just a great place to stay. If you're ever in San Antonio, let me suggest that. And a real quick shout-out to the Broadway 5050 Bar, a local local place in San Antonio, full of friendly people. I got to hang out there uh, twice on my trip, and they put a heater outside for the over the smoking area, so it was real nice to be able to sit out there under the heat on that cold night that I was there. All right, a couple of things. Uh, if you haven't had a chance, check out PipesMagazine.com. There's been a bunch of news lately, including the Cornell and Deal merger, uh, new pipe smoke reissues of those uh, articles. That's up on PipesMagazine.com. And there's always a new pipe babe here and there, so make sure that you're checking out the website as well. Follow the Pipes Magazine radio show on Facebook if you haven't had a chance, please leave a rating or review for us on iTunes. I believe we're up to 105, and that really does help the show get found. If you'd like to advertise on the Pipes Magazine radio show, contact Kevin Godby at pipesmagazine.com. And uh, speaking of Kevin Godby, hang around till after the music, because somebody's getting older. So with all that... This hour's flown by. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy tomorrow friday December 13th is Kevin Godby's birthday. It's a momentous one. And here's a little hint as to how old the big kahuna is turning.
Yep, you guessed it. It's the big 5-0. And hey, Kevin, tomorrow morning, that knock on the door, that's not a delivery of flowers. That's the AARP coming to get you signed up.